Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Angie Cole describes herself as a heavily tattooed rocker turned entrepreneurial coach and a force of nature. In her journey from cubicle copywriter to, in her own words, badass business owner, she has coached hundreds of creative freelancers, is a motivational speaker, has done multiple billion, multi-billion dollar launches producing over 50 million in direct to consumer sales and host the podcast Permission to Kick Ass. Hello, Angie. How are you doing? Hi. Hearing that uh, read about me is kind of intense. <laughs> well, I was like, it's very, very impressive, I have to say. And, Why, thank and, you. I, and you gave me permission to say kick ass in my own podcast. It's the first time <laughs> I do that. <laughs> so liberating. It's so liberating to strategically swear. I mean, you don't have to do it all the time, but I love I the lo- power of saying it. You know? I know. I, I just realized. I said, oh, I get to say this. and <laughs> but, but I even say in her own words, so I have mm-hmm. to attribute it to you. <laughs> All good. So, so thank you so much, Angie, for, for being here. And I have to acknowledge dear friend, Kristen, who introduced us a while back. And she said, you and Angie should meet. And as a matter of fact, I've been on your podcast and we say, now you should be in mine because you you really are a a true force of nature. And I'm very inspired by all you've achieved. I know you've had quite an interesting journey and you're, you are a creative writer and that's part of how I got in, in touch with, with who you were and that you really are a fantastic writer. And, uh, I think it's somewhere in your, in your bio somewhere said it's not, it wasn't all vodka and what you you had rainbows. (laughs) Yes, I say, but it wasn't all vodkas and rambles, and I love that. So that's completely stealable. So let's start, you know, a little bit before it was vodkas and and rainbows. In your younger years, you definitely had, it sounds, probably a a traditional path where you ended up in a cubicle or having a traditional job, but let's not steal the thunder. Tell me about Mm -hmm. uh, who you were as a young child and what were you envisioning to be as a grown-up? Well, it's funny because I don't think it, there were a lot of kids that knew that they wanted to be a doctor, or they wanted to be an astronaut, or so they had this clear idea of what they wanted to be. And I would say I never really had a vision for my future. I was always kind of a go with the flow kind of child. I loved to create these goofy little stories when I was a kid. But when I got to school, I convinced myself I hated writing because of the formulas that they teach us, you know, that you get an intro paragraph, three points, and a conclusion. And so when I had to put my writing in a box that someone else created for me, I convinced myself I hated writing in general versus I just hated the formula. So I kind of switched gears. I stopped writing stories as much when I was younger. And I remember this other period in my life where I found a probably like an old highlights magazine or something. And I saw this ad for a thing called Olympia Sales Club. And I was like, ooh, 
ooh, I think I could join that. So that was how I started my first little door-to-door sales business because I saw in that little catalog that I could get an alarm clock. I don't know why I was obsessed with this particular alarm clock, but I just wanted to go sell enough stuff to get this alarm clock so I could listen to the radio in my room. This is back before streaming, kids. So getting your own radio was very important back in those days. And so when I look back kind of at all of the random stuff I've done in my history, because, you know, like I said, I never had a plan for myself. So when I went to college, it was less about following a path and more about finding a path, I would say. And I did probably just about every job under the sun, just trying to find something that felt like the right thing while convincing myself that writing was not the right thing, which is super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you see, would you say like you felt inside of you that writing was kind of your calling, but that you were convincing and like there was that little voice talking to you and you were putting it aside and then you would keep trying other things? Yeah. I would say it was, it was probably stories that I was getting from society about how competitive writing is, about how hard it is to make a living. Worries, you know, well-meaning worries from loving parents that were like, are you sure you want to do that? You're not going to be able to make much of a living doing that. And so I had all of those stories, plus that, you know, writing feels like this dry formulaic box that I don't like. So maybe this is not the path. And then I want, I mean, I'm telling you, I tried just about everything, waiting tables, picking up trash, being a bartender, being a firefighter, being a lifeguard instructor, like data entry, you name it, I tried it and nothing ever felt like the thing. I, I never really lasted very long at any one of those jobs. So I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was go back to school and get a master's degree. And somewhere in the course of getting the master's degree, my love of writing came back out because I was focused on uh, the entertainment industry and I really wanted to learn more about screenwriting. So here's this wonderful format that doesn't put me in a box. I get to tell the stories that I want to tell. I get to use the language and the dialogue and the characters that I want to say. And I was like, oh, oh, this is good. I think I want to be a screenwriter and just focused all my efforts on that. And then probably like a year and a half after I got my degree, I got laid off from my, from my job in the entertainment industry and had to find a new path. And that was when I, I read a random book about copywriting, which is what I ultimately became, a copywriter, sales-focused writer. And it was like all of these things that had been going on throughout my childhood, all these different paths that I kind of resisted because I didn't think it was for me, clicked the moment I read that book and just set me off on this you know, now decade-long journey where I've been a writer for, for pretty much full-time. I love it. I love it because uh, in your story, in your journey, you showcase something that many people attribute to the formula to success, which is curiosity. Like you were exploring path and trying different things. And and you say, no, it wasn't set because I've had guests where, you know, for other reasons, they think, oh, I thought I, I really wanted to be this. And then I became that and I realized, oh, not, not for me. <laughs> so, you know, that they, they were more set up in their journey. But I love the fact because you prove a point that is where I think a lot of people, especially the youngsters, are experiencing that the traditional careers are ceasing, like are stopping to be what what they were when we were growing up, Mm -hmm. generation. And now there's new careers that didn't exist when they weren't available to us. So they have to be more curious to explore this because there's not many people that can tell them what it's all about. They have to experience it by themselves. Yeah, it's everything is evolving. You know, like our parents, they lived in a completely different reality 
right? Where, especially in the States, it was you, you find one job and you stay with that company for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and retire and live on a pension. I can't think of a single person that I know now in my generation that has done that. Everybody changes jobs every couple of years. Like you said, there are new jobs that didn't even, there was no such thing as an app developer. Yeah. But I was going to school. Just yes. didn't exist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the smart city, which I'm very involved in now, I, I forget the percentage, but you know, the majority of jobs that would be the jobs needed in 2040 and 50, they haven't been created yet. Oh, yeah. That's really interesting. Incredible. It's really incredible. And, and if you think about it, there's people, you know, that do things as, as you say, a digital marketer that mm -hmm. exists, like a social media manager that, you know, 10 years ago, that was a job that really didn't exist. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, so, and so 10 years ago, as we're recording this, it was just, it was like, what, first or second generation iPhone? That was yes. just a brand new thing. Because I remember going to grad school and I had a freaking Palm Pilot, you know? Yes. <laughs> and that, wasn't a that was a pretty cool gadget. It was. <laughs> but podcast editor to go back, you know, like the, the people that edit our podcast, you know, a few years back, that wasn't really a thing. And now there's entire companies that are created doing that. So I think we, we made our point that you have to keep curious at exploring what you're good at and and not dismiss that little voice. I'm glad that it always kept, you know, close to you in your own journey into into becoming, you know, eventually a copywriter and, and something that you're good at. But then, you know, you you have your traditional job and you're happy doing that. And 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 one thing I'm gonna say is that a lot of what you share with us was sound li about limited beliefs. So, you know what mm -hmm. tell us this is this, this is that. The, the the fact that we label things in a way that really can can steer you in the wrong direction just because the way we, we are wired. So I'm glad mm -hmm. that, that you shared that limited belief. But then you said, you know, in another part of your of your webpage, I think it's, you know, that the, the road out of the cubicle goes through hell. <laughs> yeah, right. And true. I love that. And that, so you you had that journey where you you describe it as basically going out of the cubicle and becoming your own business owner. And you had that whole journey. So can you share more about that? Because I think there's a lot of people that want to want to embark in that journey, even knowing that they're, they might go through hell. But the fact that knowing their success at the other end is I think, mm -hmm. inspiring. Well, and I think this ties both to curiosity, what you were saying, and being open to new experiences. You know, I'll just tell the story. So after I got laid off from my job in the entertainment industry, I read this book, I discovered copywriting, and I figured, hey, I could do this. And so I signed up for all of the freelance sites and I just started reaching out to people and seeing what jobs I could take. And I took, you know, there's a pattern here, took every job that somebody would give me. I wrote websites, I wrote business plans, I wrote the live production script for the Miss Black USA pageants. Like oh, wow. any job that somebody would pay me to write, I would take. The downside here was while I was a decent writer, I was a crappy business person. I just had no skills or experience in business so far. So I was just charging what seemed reasonable or what I think they can afford, not knowing that I'm projecting kind of my own ideas of what's affordable and what's valuable on them and not knowing if that's even remotely accurate. Like I'm just having this conversation in my head on what I charge them. And after a while, unsurprisingly, I wasn't making enough money to keep things going. And so I wound up 
you know, the, the thought process in my head was, okay, well, I really like copywriting so far and I don't really understand what I'm doing wrong in this business, but I like the work. So it makes sense to me to go find a job as a copywriter and get even better at this. And then I can always try the business thing again later. So I went in house, went back to the cubicle, ironically enough, got really good. At, I had a series of copy chiefs or what they're called. So they're, you know, the head of the copy department would help me get better, figure out how to generate these big ideas and these big promotions. And that's how I got to some of those launches that you mentioned in the beginning that I was working on these multi-million dollar campaigns, big, um, you know, commercial West Coast blitzes and stuff like that. The only downside was by the time I got to that level where I was working on those really big promotions, I was in a corporate job that was really, really toxic. I loved my core creative team, the people that I worked with every day. But every time we had to go work with some other department, there were literally people that would say this company was better before we had copywriters. Like Mm. really negative, publicly humiliating, super toxic. And as much as I loved the work, I got to a point where I couldn't reconcile going into the office every day with the joy that I got from doing the work. Like it was just, I gained 60 pounds from stress eating. There were times that I would be in the office at like midnight and then back in the office at five o'clock in the morning working on projects. It was Silicon Valley and it was super stressful. So I made a plan and I decided to quit again. I'm like, all right, well, I'm really good at copywriting now. So I guess we have to flip the script and get good at business. <laughs> Let's go learn. I love this. I love this because you are highlighting something that is so important, which is you have to be aware of your weaknesses. And and most of the most successful entrepreneurs that you can follow, they all say that higher to your weakness, right? And in, in this case, you said, fix the weakness, you know, go learn what you don't know. You recognize it. You went back to the cubicle knowing that, okay, this might be temporary, but this is a, a short-term goal, basically, and now you're preparing for for what's next. And I think that's very valuable because I think people get stuck in the mind like this is what it is. And I mm-hmm. have a way of solving this problem. Whether you are showing that, no, if you make a plan and you just use a bad circle and you say, I'm going to work here, but it's not going to be forever. Mm-hmm. You know, then you get it done and you move on. And I think that is a great approach to really pursue what you're passionate about. Yeah. And I think so many people would... And I know I was in danger of that for a while of of seeing having to go back to the cube as a failure. I mean, I'm not I'm not ever going to figure this out. But thankfully, I was friends with other people who were freelance copywriters and had figured it out. So for me, that meant that when I went back in house to get really good at writing copy, I didn't lose sight of that dream, which was eventually I'm going to build a business out of this. Mm-hmm. So. When I recognized I had that skills gap, and that's what I love to call it, it's a skills gap. I don't understand how to run a business, even though technically I have a business degree, but apparently I just tuned out on those days. <laughs> it's, it's not nearly as interesting. One thing is knowing and one thing is doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's not nearly as interesting studying it as when it's figuring out problems in your own business. I will just say that. Like, So I hired a coach. Uh, I went through a training program to get better at being a freelance business owner. I saved up some money. I quit and I tried again. And my first month I made in 18 days, I made five figures. Wow. And like, that's how fast it happened. And then I fell into this trap that a lot of creatives fall into, I think, which was I got so, so buried in doing the work that I forgot to keep prospecting. Mm-hmm. So February was a little bit light. And then March was a little bit lighter. 
And then by April, I was starting to panic a little bit because we're dipping into savings and my mortgage is at risk. So I took a temporary assignment back at the old job. They called me back in for a week and I was like, yay, mortgage is paid. All right, cool. Buy me some more time to figure out this business thing. And on the fifth day that I was in the office, the entire creative team got laid off. Oh, wow. I got fired from a job I didn't even have. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) And that was like a wake up call for me because I think in the back of my mind, I had this idea that I can always go back. If I fail at this thing, I can always go back. And suddenly this safety net that I didn't even realize I was banking on was gone. And I had to figure it out. And in That was terrifying, but in retrospect, it was the best possible thing that could have happened because it forced me to take things more seriously. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I I just said that to someone earlier today, believe it or not, it's like people say they want to do things, they want to create their own business, they want to... But then, you know, a job opportunity comes and they consider it. And I say, Mm -hmm. what are you considering this? You know, you just said you want to do your own thing. But there's something, that safety net that you mentioned, mm-hmm. so important to know, oh, but I have this cool sheet check coming to me. You know, I don't even know where the money comes from. It's a very comfortable, see, as a business owner, I always say, I wish I can go back to the day where I don't even know where the money comes from. <laughs> get a, te- a check in my desk, on my desk, and yep. I did not have to think about, is there enough money to pay the bills this month? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's liberating. So, so yeah, that safety net, net it's a, I think it's a powerful thought, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you use the word liberating too, because I think that really is the thought that matters here. When you're considering going back to a day job, it's it, fewer things to think about, fewer things to worry about and get stuck on and less the idea of what I think people talk about, which is safety, like going back to a job is safe and it's reliable and it's predictable. If anything, the pandemic showed us that that is not the case. Yes. And it's not necessarily your fault when your job is not safe. You know, somebody else is making decisions for you and that may mean that your job is eliminated. So I like highlighting that difference. Like your job is not safe, but it may liberate you from having to do some additional steps, additional work, additional thinking. Yeah, and that's a great point. And I, I might be sidetracking, but I love when that happens. <laughs> Don't you think that maybe that's the reason why now we have what they call in the, the great resignation? I really yes. think it links to what you just said, which is a lot of people realized that, well, my job disappeared in front of me, but I still made it somehow. I had to do adjustments in my life, but I wasn't on the street or I was or I had food to it. So I think it really empowered people to understand yeah, this job might not be there, but that doesn't mean that you cannot do other things or, or, or do things differently. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps a whole, probably even generation of people realize with the spare time that they had to think that they were freaking miserable. Yeah. They had almost sold their soul to this job. And I made that joke with somebody the other day, like, okay, when we made our arrangement for you to hire me to do something and bring me in as an employee, I agreed to exchange a certain amount of hours for a salary for some benefits, like give me some health and dental and vision, please, for retirement and matching. I don't recall selling you every waking moment plus my firstborn child. (laughs) And sometimes, somehow over the last, I don't know, 20 years in corporate America, it seems like you've got to give everything to the job. Otherwise, you're not a team player. And I think last year when everything just kind of fell apart and came to a screeching halt, everybody suddenly realized like, wow, 
things can change in an instant. I've been giving my heart and soul to this place that would fire me in a second, that would lay me off the moment they have financial troubles. And that's not to make light of any business owner that had to make that hard call. You know, Absolutely. but uh, it regained uh, the employee regained some power in the sense that they it was a shocking moment for a lot of people, as you say. And when you get laid off, I, I went through it to a Nortel and, uh, you know, it was to see a company of 120,000 people. You know, eventually they went belly up. But when the, the first layoffs were happening, you know, I just was shocked by how quick it can all disappear and, mm -hmm. uh, and while at the end I, I, I volunteer to leave and I say, I want to leave. And I, you know, maybe we've spoken about it before. It, it was still very traumatizing. It was still mm -hmm. very traumatizing to be laid off. Oh, yeah. Um, and very humbling to, to understand that, yeah, that, that I was a number. And then, you know, you thought you were so. And that's why I always say nobody's indispensable because I mm -hmm. think a lot of people, they like to think that they are indispensable. They like to justify their existence with the job they have. And then when that is gone, it's a, it's a very humbling experience. Mm -hmm. I thought I was indispensable to that last corporate job. And, you know, I was, I was a senior copywriter. I was training newer writers. I had a lot of big projects on my plate. I gave them, I think, three months of notice before I finally quit, thinking that they're going to need to bring in someone with a certain skill set to replace me. Guess what they did? They split my massive workload among the remaining writers that were left and didn't hire anybody. Wow. And the workload that I had, you know, I mentioned being in the office until midnight, coming back in at 5 a.m., was already pretty unsustainable. That so, is incredible. That is yeah. incredible. But so that's why it's good that you took control. You created your own business. Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell me about that. Well, uh, I happened to get connected over that, you know, the four months that I told you I was kind of struggling a little bit watching my income go down. I had connected with somebody that is a high-level marketer. He's kind of like the Tony Robbins of, of online marketing and starting your online business. And I wound up writing for him for a little while and then going on to run his team, worked with him for almost four years, pretty much exclusively while taking on some side work. And then late last year, uh, well, probably like middle of year, pa pandemic year, I'm having a sudden realization that it's, it's been 10 years as a copywriter. I love what I do. And I think I'm ready for the next phase. I don't think I want to be a copywriter forever. So I had mild identity crisis because who am I if I'm not a copywriter? I've built this whole reputation in the industry, respected by my peers. I'm invited to speak as a copywriter and as a marketer, but I decided to pivot and become a coach and start my own podcast, which you mentioned. And so right around the time that I'm breaking the news to this client that I'm, I'm switching out of copywriting, I'm going to be leaving which they took really hard. I, I freaking love them. I took it really hard too. Six days after I announced the team that I was going to be leaving and transitioning out, my now ex-partner announced that he didn't love me anymore. And so like there was, and he was moving out and he started moving out the very next day. So now all of a sudden I'm in this like, okay, I'm losing my biggest client. I don't know what I'm going to do to make money for the next iteration of like coaching and podcasting. Podcasting costs some money to produce. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if I have a house anymore and was just kind of thrown into this wild second phase of the entrepreneurial journey, <laughs> which has been fun. That is heavy. That is heavy. But I think that usually you get thrown those, uh, those challenges to really make you go and grow to your next potential. I really mm -hmm. believe that, that when those challenges are thrown at us is because you're ready for the next step. Yeah, I absolutely, I, 
Absolutely agree with you on that. I was just talking to a friend the other day about how I think this year had to happen. You know, kind of like I had to be laid off from that other job that I didn't have in order to force me to take my copywriting business seriously. I had to have things kind of fall apart to take my coaching business seriously and to figure out how to make it work on my own without the support. Because I think I had been, you know, I'd fallen into that trap again of, okay, if things don't work out, at least I'm living with my partner and I don't have to worry about losing the house. Mm -hmm. Of course. Well, now... If things don't work out, I don't have a place to go and I'm going to have to go back to mom and dad, which somehow made me figure things out. <laughs> it's well, been fantastic. Yeah. Well, I went back to mom and dad after Nortel and I went, I, it's kind of similar story because it was that year, 2001, and I had my whole episode number 20. If anybody's curious, you can go back to <laughs> episodes and, and I speak about that. But in short, like I was going to lay it off. I, I used to work with my boyfriend of four years with whom I thought I was going to get married and we broke up and mm. working in the same company. And I say, well, you know, that like, I'm going to get fired. I broke up with my long-term relationship. What can be worse? And two weeks later, my, one of my best friends got murdered by her husband oh. who then committed suicide. So oh. that life taught me that there can be worse things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, it puts anything in perspective, but I remember I have so far, I've said it's the worst year of my life, but it really pushed me towards, you have to rethink. And I felt like such a failure. I had been living in the States, working for a big company, completely independent. And I decided to go back to Venezuela and live with my parents. And it mm-hmm. felt like I was so close of probably getting married, having my own life. And I felt like I went back to square zero. <laughs> oh, I understand that feeling so much. And, uh, and then working for the family business, which it was hard to, you know, come out of the shell. But in any case, now you look back and you say, yeah, but that made me so resilient. And that made me understand what I wanted and all that. But I understand that when you go through the process, it's, it's painful. Mm-hmm. It really is. And, you know, I, I don't want to say anything like cast aspersions on my mom and dad or anything. I I decided to tell them, so we're too old to be roommates, but I love you dearly. And, you know, it means so much that you offered to take me in. Let's not go there until we have to. Thankfully, right now I'm in a position to where it doesn't have to happen. I can, I can afford to support myself for a little while on my own. Let me go see what happens. And so all of that happening at the same time kind of forced me into this decision of, okay, well, I don't have a house with my now ex-partner where do I go? I don't really like living here and I don't know where to go next. So let's go explore. And that's how the past year, it was actually a year on 13th of this month. So just a few days ago, that's how I found myself basically living in Airbnbs all across the United States over the last year while building this business and having the time of my life. Like I don't even know who that corporate copywriter is anymore. I love that. This is like the opposite of that life. And it's so fantastic. But I don't know that this would have ever happened for me if all of it hadn't fallen apart last year, like right when it looked like everything was going in the right direction. Yeah, I really think, again, as I say, the same thing happened to me. And sometimes life is sending you signals to do something and we ignore it. And then they have to do, you know, the universe has to do something really radical for you to pay attention. And I'm I'm firmly convinced of this. And, And if... You know, in all the guests I've had, they all share a story that has either a healthy, like there's some sort of really humbling experience that mm-hmm. forces you in the right title of my podcast to go back to basics yep, and to see what I'm about, 
what do I need in my life to go through? And then, you know, but the beauty is that as you're going through this process and I've witnessed some of the stuff you've done and your podcast, of course, which I'm a fan, you're doing incredible work and you're inspiring others. And you, as you say, you're having the time of your life. Mm -hmm. So that's so ironic, you know, that you have to go through the really bad times to, to start discovering the really good times. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because it gave me a lot of clarity, right? Because I spend a lot of time on my own and I go out and explore things. But the one of the big messages that became really clear to me was that I had been so tunnel vision focused on money. I need money. I'm worried about what happens if I run out of money that I had made choices in pursuit of money that weren't necessarily in alignment with me and weren't actually helping me move forward. And having that space, kind of being away from a partner that might be worried about money, being able to hear my own internal voice and thoughts about where I was and how comfortable I was taking certain risks with finances, maybe having a lean month and seeing if I can figure out some extra side work to, to make up for the shortfall. That has, you know, you used the word resilience. That's such a beautiful word for this because having done this for a year, starting out earlier this year thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but we'll try. Well, now I've got 12 months of proof that I can figure this out. <laughs> exactly. And that's very empowering, you know, and that's really empowering because now it only gets better. And the, and the year you had is all seed, you know, the mm -hmm. seeds that you have planted that are growing even when you don't see them and that, you know, they will come back and turn around into mm -hmm. something, you know, just like when you met that a, a copywriter or just when you meet that other person out of the blue, when you least expect it and then magic happens. Mm -hmm. There is a magic. It is magical when you put yourself out there and you have the courage to speak what you want to the universe, to witnesses that has, you know, I'm not a really woo woo person, but I think there is power in acknowledging, admitting to yourself what you want, what you'd like to try and sharing that dream and that vision with other people. Because I would say same thing. Like I, I do a lot of freelance contracting and consulting on the side while I'm growing the podcast. And just in the course of doing that consulting, met another person who wants to read my book and might yes. be talking about a partnership for me to go speak and do a touring story. So just the act of putting yourself out there, talking to people about what you're doing, what your dreams and goals are, can accidentally almost bring you that much closer to making those a reality. Absolutely. And I will complete with also surrendering because sometimes, mm. like I'm a stubborn person and I, for <laughs> a long time, I, I thought that I knew what I needed or what I wanted. And I was so like, this is, it just feels right. And I was so stubborn that it wasn't until I really surrendered. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, this is what I would like, but if it's not what it is meant to be for me, take me, you know, down the path, whatever it is, the universe, the spirit, and just surrender it to what comes. And then you realize that just by following the flow, just like as you did when you were a little girl, mm -hmm. uh, then it takes you to a better, much better place that you never couldn't even imagine because you didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does to me has been one of my life lessons that sometimes you're so certain that you know what you want and yeah, I know and I'm clear and all these, but sometimes we don't have all the information that the universe has for us mm -hmm. and we don't know where is it that we need to be going. Oh yeah. And that's an interesting thing too, because I think especially when it comes to business, 
a lot of us have this kind of head trash around this has to be hard. Building a business is hard. It's a struggle. And I'm not going to say that it's without struggle because we all have periods of, of really having to work hard and hustle to make ends meet. But also, maybe the resistance and the stress and the struggle and the late nights that you're feeling are a sign that this is not the path. Maybe adjust to the left slightly and it'll be a little bit easier. Like, you don't have to keep beating your head against the wall to open a door. Just go find the door and open it. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of people say, if it doesn't feel easy and comfortable, you're prob probably not doing what you're meant to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's been the biggest takeaway over the last year because I get up every day without an alarm, which never would have happened in my old corporate life. That is, I as the dream job, the dream mm -hmm. state is to wake up without an alarm. By the way, yeah. I have two two young kids. They have. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like I purposefully created my schedule to where all of my calls happen in the afternoon, so that if I want to sleep in one day, it's great. I can do that. I really don't sleep in though. I you know get good rest because I'm not up all night stressing out and being anxious about things. I work with people I adore working with. Like we're constantly joking and laughing and making fun of things. I told all of my clients this week that I was skipping out to go to Disney World. And I looked at my workload and, and all the deadlines that I had promised to people. And was like, okay, I can move this here. I can move this here. Let's do this. You know, I'm not blowing them off and refusing to do work, but I'm like, I have this opportunity to go to Disney World. I'm a Disney, I'm wearing like all the clothes while we're recording this. And it's the 50th anniversary. And this is important to me. I get to go with friends. So I'm going to do it. And that's something I would have had to like lie and I'm, I'm taking a sick day from my corporate job and otherwise had to like make an excuse to go do something I want to do with my life. I don't want to do that anymore. I just, I agree. I, I agree. I think we have to humanize corporate America. It has been humanized by COVID, I believe, in a way. Mm -hmm. but there's so much more that we need to be doing and into like understanding that the, the, the standard that we have created for ourselves is just not working. And I think that that resignation, people don't want it to go back and all that. This is our chance to, to make things a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that space that you get from not being tied to a 40, 60, 80 hour a week job, I think actually helps you do the work faster. Absolutely. That's what I'm discovering. Like I yes. can achieve the same amount in like two hours a day that I, it used to take me eight hours to produce because meetings and stress and water cooler talks. <laughs> yeah, tr true. And people just pretending to work because mm -hmm. people's, oh yeah, I'm at my desk. Have you seen me? And it's just, it, it's a, it's a toxic, I agree, a toxic competition. So since I know that we don't have that much time, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your podcast, which is fantastic. Oh. Can you share with my audience about permission to kick ass and you, you, everybody, you need to check it out because Kathy <laughs> is so energetic. She's energetic now. Imagine her as a host. Amazing. <laughs> I love being in your podcast and you're fantastic. It was such a great conversation too. And I'm so glad that we kind of like traded podcasts here too. It's yes. fun. So it's called Permission to Kick Ass and you can find it on all major streaming services. And it's interesting that I, I heard this at a, an event when I had been invited to speak on stage, someone came and found me at the back table and said, I love your voice. Have you considered having a podcast? And I was like, what are you smoking? My voice is weird. Like <laughs> I had to have a great voice. I had such a visceral reaction to somebody telling me I should have a podcast. But then the next time I spoke on stage, it happened again and it was a different person in a different mm -hmm. place. And then the third time it happens, my brain started to go, all right, three people independently of each other with nothing to gain 
all told me this, perhaps there's something to it. So took a workshop about podcasting, developed the concept with some of my friends and really just decided that my whole business life had changed when I had the privilege of witnessing uh, somebody that I would say is a very high level successful freelancer kind of meltdown in a fit of anxiety. And it became clear to me all of a sudden that this is somebody landing like five figure contracts regularly with really big names that everybody listening would probably recognize. And they're dealing with massive amounts of anxiety on a daily basis. Holy crap, everything just came crashing. I can be an anxious person and still be successful. So the whole premise of Permission to Kick Ass is to talk to people who have built businesses and all the struggles and the crap that they've been through and the surprises and the setbacks. I mean, we talked about some really big stuff when you were a guest on my podcast. And you know, I've talked to people that were dealing with six-figure lawsuits in the middle of COVID shutdowns and all kinds of stuff and how it's just a great story now that you've survived. And it, it just goes to show other people that are behind you on the path. If you feel like you're alone in a corner, struggling, always messing up, screwing up, you'll never get this business thing right. Hey, welcome to the club. Most of us feel that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's a great concept. And just a spoiler alert, I, I share with Angie in her podcast, something I had never shared publicly. It's one of my stories from business that I never, never uh, share here on my podcast or anywhere else. So only on Angie's podcast. <laughs> I know they can't see me like clutching my heart going, that means a lot to me. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. You're so easy to talk to that. I was, I, I felt, okay, this is a good one to share this, uh, this story. Well, I definitely love it. I think it's very inspirational. And I, I, I know that there is out there in my audience, people that have feel like that, that need the extra push to pursue their dreams and, and, and stay connected to, to their true essence. So I, I value your time and you being a guest. And uh, I cannot end the interview without asking, uh, besides everything you've shared, what other thing, and Disney, because now I know <laughs> Disney makes you tick, yeah. what other thing makes you tick in those dark moments and challenging moments? You say, ah, I'm doing this. I would say one thing that really keeps me going is showing other people what's possible. And every time I have a major doubt in myself and I wonder if I can figure this out, I'm like, oh, but if I could figure it out, imagine what that could do for the people that are looking to me for some sort of leadership. So every time I get, I kind of get focused on myself and I get small and anxious and, and things like that, I start to focus on the people around me that just need to see an example of someone doing it. And it might as well be me. I love that. I love that. And, and uh, that's why we, we connect. I, I always say I love to make the impossible possible. Yes. And just just show that it's, it is a possibility. And I think you are showing that to all of us. You're an inspiration to me. I love how you're taking control of your life and, and, and doing what you enjoy. So definitely someone to look up to. And um, I think you've given everybody permission to kick ass. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Angie. Until the next time, thanks everybody for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. 
And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.